Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Clocked In with the Press, hosted at Altman Studios here in Brentwood, California. We are here to spread some news, spill some tea, and make sure that you, our listeners, are both informed and entertained. Not everything stated in this podcast is supported by or reflects the beliefs of the press, so if you agree or disagree with me, don't be afraid to tell me on Twitter or Instagram at PressClockedIn or on Facebook at ThePress.net. I'm your host, Caitlin Gleason, clocking in. So for the story of the day, the Antioch City Council voted 3-2 to two to direct the city attorney and city manager to partner with law enforcement and the police oversight committee to develop a policy that protects people from holds, restraints, or other maneuvers that could lead to potential asphyxia. However, before we get too deep into that story, let's go over the top stories of the week. Construction is already underway at Brentwood's newest apartment community ahead of an event to commemorate it. Silvergate Apartments is a new complex by Claremont Homes being built in Brentwood off of Business Center Drive. Investors and stakeholders were invited to tour the site of the future complex, where construction was partly underway to get an idea of what the completed project would look like. Phase 1 of the Silvergate community, consisting of 96 units across 8 buildings, is expected to be completed by summer of 2022, with the rest of the units to follow by November. Once finished, the community will feature 14 residential buildings and a leasing office on an 8-acre parcel of land. Each residential building will be 3 stories tall, with either 11 or 12 units for a total of 166 apartments. About 80% of the units will be 2-bedroom apartments, while the remaining units will be 1-bedroom homes. Rent for each unit has not yet been determined. Next, this year, Mount Diablo State Park celebrates its 100th birthday. The mountain's unique natural features have long inspired a special place in the hearts of the surrounding community and led to it becoming a park in 1921. The public is invited to join California State Parks and its partners in celebrating Mount Diablo State Park Centennial through the remainder of 2021. A celebration will also be held from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. on October 16th at Cal State East Bay Concord Campus, 4700 Ignacio Valley Road in Concord. Though 100 years is a long history as a park, the importance of Mount Diablo was recognized long before that. For thousands of years, indigenous people were the caretakers of this land, and many groups considered and treated the mountain as a sacred place and continue to do so today. Since becoming a state park in 1921, Mount Diablo has been protected as a natural area, and over the past 100 years, the park has grown from only a few hundred acres to more than 20,000 acres. Next up, the Antioch Police Department will implement a new traffic services program in an effort to deter illegal driving behaviors thanks to a grant from the California Office of Traffic Safety, or OTS. The $60,000 grant made available to OTS by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration is expected to fund expanded traffic enforcement measures through September 2022. These expanded measures will include DUI checkpoints, community education presentations, and officer training for different field sobriety tests, according to a press release. Additional focus will be put on violations considered to be most responsible for crashes, such as speeding, improper turning and failure to yield, or stop in accordance with signage. The press release did not say when these measures would start. Up next for an update on the Dolphin Park story, there are new developments regarding its hours of being open to the public. The Brentwood Parks and Recreation Commission moved to relax restrictions on Dolphin Park's water feature after much deliberation on possible solutions to ongoing complaints regarding park etiquette. The council voted 5-1 to one to continue with a modified version of the current program that would see the water feature open from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. on both Saturday and Sunday for the final six weeks of the season, with plans to enforce infractions when possible while also spreading awareness for similar area parks better designed to host crowds, such as Blue Goose Park and City Park. 
Lastly, in hometown sports, when the high school wrestling season gets underway, Liberty's team will be able to tout something that not many schools can, the top-ranked wrestler in the country. USA Wrestling recently came out with its high school rankings, and in them, Samantha Culkins, a senior for the Lions, was ranked as the top wrestler in her weight class. The rankings weren't exactly a surprise to Culkins. If you've listened to our show before, you would know from a previous Top Story segment that in July, she finished first at the U.S. Marine Corps 16U and Junior Nationals Wrestling Tournament in Fargo, North Dakota. Colkins defeated Riley Dempelwolf from Lafayette, Indiana in the final. The USA Wrestling rankings followed those results, with Dempelwolf coming at number two and Colkins at number one. Those were the top weekly stories. But now to get back to the main topic of the day, here to discuss it with me is the press reporter, Jake Menez. Hey, Jake. Hi, Caitlin. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for coming out. Of course. So how long have you been writing for the press? So I've been writing for the press as a freelancer, as a stringer for since like 2016. So what is that, about five years? About five years. But I've been on staff as a staff writer for a little over a month now, I think. You actually covered the story that we're talking about today, right? That's what they tell me. When you were gathering information for the story, did you meet any challenges along the way? You know, it's it's a fairly political story, for better or for worse. So trying to find, you know, the objectivity there would be the hardest part. The policy has been described as a policy that protects people from holds, restraints, or other maneuvers that could lead to potential asphyxia. So, Jake, tell me more about what this specifically means or how it was contextually defined in the meeting. To break it down, asphyxia obviously would just be a blocking of airways. It'd be, you know, creating a challenge when it comes to breathing. So when it comes to police maneuvers, it's also known sometimes as positional asphyxia which the short version of that is when someone's lying prone or they're lying face down to be restrained by the police, it opens up an opportunity for that airway to be blocked just based on that body position. I mean, there's, there can be mitigating factors as well, mm. drugs, alcohol, anything like that. But I mean, primarily you're looking at that body positioning. What were some of their main reasons for suggesting the motion? Or in other words, what were some of the motivations to change those restraining methods that they were bringing up when they were introducing the policy? More than anything, it's, like I said, a political issue, and especially right now. The whole concept of police brutality has really been put more into the spotlight since last year, the George Floyd Mm -hmm. situation. And that put it kind of more on a national level in the spotlight. And then more locally, there was, of course, the the man in Antioch back in, I believe it was February of last year, who, a similar situation, his name was Angelo Quinto, and it's in the article itself, which Mm -hmm. should be linked in this episode's notes, I believe. Mm -hmm. So people are welcome to look at that just for the full story. But but again, just a similar situation locally. Okay, wait, so tell me a little bit more about the the Quinto story. So the Angelo Quinto story was back in December of last year, so it would have been on December 23rd. He was an Antioch resident, a Navy veteran as well. The police were called to his residence because he was experiencing some mental distress. Mm -hmm. In the resulting encounter, they restrained him in such a way that it resulted in asphyxia, kind of like what we're talking about here. And so while he was being restrained, he lost consciousness. He was transported to the hospital. He never regained consciousness, and he, of course, passed away three days later. So it's because of that instance where we saw that there was a need for police reform here in Antioch. that kind of sparked this motion in the council. Right. So, I mean, it is definitely, I think the national spotlight on it has definitely helped as well, but certainly having it hit so close to home was definitely a catalyst for helping Mm. the council move forward with this fairly rapidly, considering all the red tape that goes into government. According to the report that was done on this council meeting, Antioch Mayor Lamar Thorpe introduced the motion after roughly 200 public comments were submitted on the subject. 
Thorpe and Councilwoman Tamisha Torres Walker, who is the committee chair for the Police Oversight Standing Committee, or POSC, voted against the motion after Councilwoman Lori Orgorchok introduced a substitute motion that would see the vice chair of the POSE, who is Orgorchok, included in the development of any potential policies. And then Thorpe's original proposal only included Torres Walker. Correct. Yeah. Um, and so why did Thorpe and Torres Walker vote against a motion that they were originally the main supporters of? So, I mean, without being able to pick their brains, because, of course, it was something that I didn't get a lot of feedback from them on. It was mm-hmm. fairly silent. But, I mean, the speculation, obviously, would be a disagreement between them and Orgachuk regarding whatever they choose to move forward with. The policy that was proposed by Thorpe echoes a similar statewide bill to ban any action by law enforcement that creates a substantial risk of potential asphyxia. I believe it's called AB 490. Now it is making its way through the California legislative process as we speak. Considering how much the Antioch reform was perceived and received in Antioch and Contra Costa County, how do you think AB 490 will perform in the statewide legislative process? That's sort of a complicated question because this county here is fairly evenly divided between both sides of the political divide if you looked at the results of the 2020 election, for example. So I don't know that our county is necessarily a great representation of the state as a whole. It does tend mm-hmm. to lean a little bit more left. My assumption would be that it would make it through fairly smoothly. And part of that also depends, of course, on this recall election and who's in power at the time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, assuming that the recall doesn't happen, I would think it would go through fairly smoothly. Otherwise, it might be a little bit more of an uphill battle. I guess I kind of think and I'm opinionated in the same way that it really does depend on if we get Newsom still in office or if someone else is going to be taking his place. And that's going to have a very significant impact on what types of policies are going to be passed until the next, I don't know, election proper. Which I guess is next is what I would year. Call Whoever gets in there as a replacement will have one year to do what they want to do. So we'll see what happens there. But still on the topic of police reform, actually, this is kind of reminding me of a story that we recently wrote about at the press in that the Oakley police chief was placed on administrative leave. So far, the district attorney's office has said that they are unable to provide more information rather than a confirmation that the police chief was placed on leave. So if we were to speculate for a moment, Jake, what are your thoughts on this story? That's the hard part. I mean, we're being stonewalled here, kind of. We reached out, of course, to the city attorney as well and nothing but crickets, basically. Mm. My opinion, I don't know enough about him to really have one, Mm. just based on, again, what's kind of in the media, what's in the news cycle as far as what's popular in the national spotlight. It might be a similar situation, Mm -hmm. but I would also think that if it were something like that, then we would have heard something. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that it's necessarily a case of police brutality in that regard, but... Again, I can't say for sure. Right. Even outside of those types of issues about excessive force, do you think that things like communication or accountability issues were perhaps some of the reasons behind this event as well? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You don't get put on leave without having some sort of disciplinary issue, obviously. Mm -hmm. And just the lack of news regarding something like overuse of force, excessive use of force. I think it's probably something more mundane, probably something a lot less exciting, to be honest. Yeah, I guess we'll have to kind of check in on that story as we get updated from the district attorney's office. Get my ear to the ground and my thumb on the pulse. Yeah, that's all we can do. Thank you so much for coming in today. My pleasure. I'm on the clock. That's it for today's episode of Clocked In With The Press. What did you think about our topic of the day? What are your thoughts on recent police reforms happening in your local area? And how do you feel about changes in police training policies? Let us know what you think on Twitter or Instagram at PressClockedIn or on Facebook at ThePress.net. You can also keep up with the latest East Contra Costa County news on our website at www.thepress.net. There are a million people with a million stories, and I intend to talk about them one episode at a time. I'm your host, Caitlin Gleason, clocking out. Clocking out.